probation officer sounds pretty easy, right? You just ask that person something and they can search it on Google. And, you know, that's what the job entails, retrieving information for others. All right. Obviously, that's a pipe dream and I'm making it up. But what about the chief information officer that lords over the Enterprise, ruling with a maniacal grin and an iron fist? What about that person, right? Certainly way more than Google searches. The CIO holds fantastic amounts of power and drives the very fate of your company. Thus, let's take that role apart and see what makes him or her tick. Also, there is cake. Howdy, I am Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. And with me is my co-host who peered at the total solar eclipse too long and now has magic powers. It's Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter. And this is the Data Nuts podcast. You can find this on all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at packetpushers.net. All right, so I tried to get a lot of the snark out in the intro because this is a serious topic, and we, do, we are into silo busting here. And I think one of the greatest silos that we've yet to really crack and bust, we've hinted on it, but, you know, the CIO and the common folk, you know, you and I, the engineer, like, Ethan's like, he's a network engineer, he's a little different, but, you know, for the rest of us. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never get enough of that. Uh, I apologize for all of the network engineers that listen. I, I love you deep in my heart. So we brought on a special guest, Tim Crawford. He is an amazing CIO whisperer. I'll let you do the rest of the intro, Tim, to the show, and then let's dive right into this topic. Uh, yes, Tim Crawford, and you can find me on Twitter at T Crawford. Thanks for the intro. Let's set the stage a little bit. So I'm a former CIO, and the bulk of my career has been spent within the rank and file of the IT organization, predominantly large organizations. But over the last, oh, probably decade, more than that, actually, I've been running IT orgs, so managing IT orgs in those companies. So great to jump into the uh, conversation and help break some of those myths up and maybe provide a little bit of light at the same time. Absolutely. And I think that's a good place to start because we were discussing a little bit earlier before we started recording the show that no one really knows what a CIO does or is or whatnot. So I wanted to set the stage first. You know, you said you've been one. We still let you on the show anyways, which is, <laughs> which I, I really need a little rim shot thing. Uh, but what was your past like then? You were in a C-level executive. You were facing certain challenges. Are they just as crazy and cloudy as they are today? Were they different? You know, like what, what, what was kind of your experience in that role? And, and I guess also, why are you now not a CIO? Great questions. But I think we first have to kind of create a level set. Not all CIOs are the same. Great piece of wisdom there. <laughs> but uh, if we break it down into two different types, if I were to try and stereotype the CIO role, you really have the traditional CIO and the transformational CIO. There are a number of traits that kind of define what those look like, but fundamentally the traditional CIO is what most of us are familiar with. This is the individual that's been leading the IT organization. They tend to be very tech-centric. They probably came up through the rank and file of the IT organization and are now the senior most person within the IT organization. And then you have the transformational CIO. And the transformational CIO is a business leader first that happens to have responsibility for technology. And just to clarify, that doesn't mean that the transformational CIO is the CEO of IT, because that's another statement that I hear time and time again, and that's not what I'm talking about. But if you start to break that down, the best way to explain it is I've been one of those oddball IT folks where even though I had a passion for technology, that passion was really driven by what can you do with this technology and how can that change the way your company operates or the value it brings to the company or the business or the customer. And I've always thought about the customer as the company's customer, not this thing called the internal customer. And so historically, that made me a bit of an oddball. And that was trying. That was really a struggle uh, throughout my career. But eventually things kind of came around and people started to get it and started to realize the importance of it, or maybe put a different way, I was able to more clearly communicate it. So I advanced in my career and eventually became CIO. Kind of going back to your last question, why am I not a CIO today? The way I got here really wasn't by design initially. I had left Stanford University. I had done a little bit of consulting and joined one of my clients at the time, all covered Konica Minolta, and then left there and thought, okay, I'm going to step back into another IT leadership role. 
But as it turned out, most of the roles that were out there that I was finding when I talked to executive recruiters were very much tech-centric or operationally-centric, meaning they were looking for, quote-unquote, you don't see my air quotes here, but they were looking for CIOs that were focused on keeping the lights on, you know, be the order taker, be the downstream component in our uh, discussion. Don't really sit at the table. Don't really have a contributing voice to where the company goes and how to engage with customers. We'll tell you where we're going. And that just, again, seemed odd to me. I ended up kind of stepping away and I had friends and colleagues that were reaching out saying, hey, you've got some time on your hands and you've got this kind of different perspective. Come talk to me. And so one thing led to another. And next thing you know it, I ended up with a uh, solid book of business. And I'm grateful to say that that has carried me now for seven years. And it's all through word of mouth. It's been an interesting journey. I think we need to explain to people what the CIO role really is. What is it that a CIO provides to the business, Tim? So I mean, just in a nutshell, what is their job function? From one perspective, you could say it's the senior most person within the IT organization, but I don't think that really tells what a CIO should be. From my perspective, a CIO should really be that person that sits at the intersection of business and technology. They're the ones that understand across the organization, so across product development, engineering, marketing, HR, finance, they understand how each of these sub-organizations work and are able to connect the dots and bring the pieces together and be able to understand where the opportunities are to use technology as leverage and, and there are a lot of ands, be able to communicate that in business terms. So as, an, as a simple example, if I'm sitting with the head of sales and the head of marketing, and I go in and I say, okay, to the head of marketing, wouldn't it be great if you could get your message out to the field right away and test it? And to sales, wouldn't it be great if you could get some feedback on how things are resonating or not and feed that back to marketing and then you kind of close the loop? And both of them, of course, would say, great, that's wonderful. I'd love to do that. How do we do it? Well, there's this novel thing called CRM. And the thing is, you start talking in business terms that each of those leaders can grok that they can really kind of understand in their own terms as opposed to technology and it starts to resonate it starts to gain traction and so the cio is the one that becomes that translator if you will uh, okay so, so to me i would have thought in my ignorance that i had just heard the description of the cto role the chief technology officer but you said that's a cio role what's the difference between cio and cto then yeah that's one that starts to um you really have to understand how your company operates to really understand the difference between the two. Quite often, I see the CTO, and and I'm not sure I necessarily have the right answer to this, but from my perspective, generally speaking, the CTO kind of fits in from a very technology-centric perspective, whereas the CIO is much more business-centric first, maybe even data-centric. And then that kind of beckons the question, okay, then what's the difference between the CIO and the CDO, the chief digital officer? (laughs) So I would say that the CTO is much more technology-focused. So sure, understanding how the company operates, understanding the customer, finding ways to architect and, and drive and create strategy around technology. But the CIO is the one who's really understanding the business centricity, and then influencing technology as a lever to that. I'm guessing in some organizations, maybe those are two distinct roles, and maybe in some organizations, that's a combined role. I find that most times the CTO and CIO are different roles, very different roles. With, again, the CTO tends to be much more tech-centric, whereas the CIO starts to become more business-centric. Mm-hmm. I think the the more interesting one is when you get into the CDO and the CIO. Okay. Yeah, but this uh, good friend of mine who's an executive recruiter that focuses on CIO roles as well as board roles with publicly traded companies, I think he said it best, and I completely agree with this, and that is if you have a CDO, that's probably a really good indication there's a problem with the CIO role. Ooh. 
I now imagine that, like guns drawn at noon, you know, <laughs> like draw CIO, the CDO is in town, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, part of it is because the CIO, it, there are a lot of reasons, but part of it is commonly because the CIO has blind spots and isn't able to evolve at the same rate or perspective that the company needs to evolve. And so therefore might not be data centric. And we all know that data is what drives business decisions. It drives the accuracy of business decisions. It drives the fundamentals of business decisions. And so data is more than just simply figuring out how to put bits on a disk and how to move bits around and create data policies. It's about turning that data into information. And I know these are all cliches, but the cliches really have to turn into where the rubber hits the road. See what I did there? You did. (laughs) Well, these different roles, I mean, it feels like uh, like different facets of a gem. In other words, you don't quite have a complete picture of where you need to be with your information technology if you have one of these roles. But if you have all of these roles, then you do. All the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Maybe. Maybe. I, I think if you have the CIO working effectively as the chief information officer, and let's underscore that I – and the CTO truly working as the chief technology officer, I think then you have a really good shot at becoming a, a powerhouse within your particular industry. You know, when you look at companies and how they're going to differentiate, it's going to come down to how well they leverage technology and more importantly, how well they leverage their data. Because most of the data that we all leverage in different companies doesn't come from within our company, it comes from outside. So if you're successful in figuring out how to how to leverage those two in a meaningful way, in the right way, then it gets interesting. If you don't, then it just becomes more consternation to an already messy situation. And I've seen that happen too. So let's switch gears just a, just a teeny bit and talk about cloud. I always have the jokes where it's like, oh, why did you go to cloud? I read it in CIO magazine. So where does cloud kind of fit in a more realistic viewpoint as far as the CIO strategies go across varying sizes, because I know I'm obviously a student of Simon Wardley's, you know, pioneers, town settler, town planners and settlers. And there's obviously, if you're a brand new company, probably everything's in the cloud. I don't think that's necessarily the most interesting conversation, but for those that are, especially in the town planner kind of stage where we're trying to build out and make things efficient and large. And, you know, probably the folks that are listening to this show, cloud is this nebulous thing that I feel like a lot of people are just kind of gravitating towards for no other reason than they see their peers doing it. So a very long way of saying, the cloud, how does it fit in the strategy? You know, what are CEOs looking at to get from uh, when it comes to cloud? Yeah, and this is this is one example of where the difference in the CIOs, traditional versus transformational versus CTO, really kind of come to fruition. When you have that question come up, Chris, you, you also have to consider where does the impetus or drive for cloud start? And does it start organically internally within the IT organization or does it have some external influence either from other parts of the organization or, God forbid, it's a mandate from the board of directors? And I've seen this happen a number of times where the board says, what are we doing with cloud and we need to go cloud all in or cloud first. This is the board of directors making a technology mandate. What is wrong with this problem here? One of the things you have to kind of step back with is understand that cloud is just another tool in our arsenal of different tools, right? However, cloud is probably the single largest opportunity for organizations to capitalize on when used appropriately. It doesn't mean that cloud is the end-all be-all for everything. It doesn't mean that it's going to replace everything. But when you truly take advantage of it in a meaningful way and you're able to get from your current state to that future state, then it gets to be pretty interesting. But just to kind of forklift and we've heard terms like lift and shift and just moving applications to cloud and doing what others are doing within your industry and following a board mandate that says, oh, we just have to go to cloud for cloud's sake, those are all major red flags. And every company that I've worked with that starts down that path runs into a significant, significant set of problems. The better approach is to step back for just a minute, take a breath, 
doesn't mean you have to study the problem forever and a day, but what it does mean is have a more thoughtful way to engage cloud just like you would any other tool and start to realize that it is a reality, it is an opportunity, and figure out where best to leverage it, just like any tool, just like any solution. When you start to do that, now you start taking advantage of some of the real opportunities that come from something like cloud. Unfortunately, that's not what most people are doing today. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's tied to money at all, Tim. And I ask that in this context, really, because I hear that some CIOs are reporting to the CFO. So, I mean, if that's true, I don't know how often you've experienced it. If that's true, does that kind of underscore where a business's priorities are, that they've got you? Know, you can do technology in the context of this budget. And if if that is true... How do you align with the other executives if, you know, you're, you know, the person above you is is the bean counter? Yeah, you know, Ethan, that's a great question and it heavily influences the role and perspective and culture of the IT organization and the CIO specifically depending on whether they report to the CFO or report to the CEO. I've been in leadership roles where I've reported to the CFO and I've been in leadership roles where I've reported to the CEO. You know, I wrote a bit about this in a post on my blog, avoa.com, where I outlined some of the characteristics of the traditional versus transformational CIO. And when you start to look at CIOs that report to the CFO, and this isn't saying they can't be successful, but it sure makes it really hard for them to be successful in transforming how IT leverages emerging technologies, how it creates a culture of experimentation, how it really kind of breaks the ground in innovation, because much of it is steeped in some financial backing, some financial metric. But if you are reporting to the CEO, you tend to have a different relationship, a different focus, and it's also easier to innovate and bring in some of these newer, more novel approaches rather than taking the traditional let's do more with less, which I'm sure every single one of your listeners has had to deal with at some point in their career. You know, how do we do more with less? And that works against many of these innovations and leveraging many of these newer technologies. So it does have a significant impact. I wouldn't say that it's impossible to get around it, but it definitely makes things a lot harder. The other thing that stuck out to me here, CIO, CTO, and CDO are all distinct roles in the executive suite. Now, CDO, the chief digital officer, that, that was a new one to me. Maybe I just haven't been paying attention and it's been around for a while. But but the way Tim described these distinct roles, I mean, that really highlighted for me just how complex it is for organizations to best leverage technology. They've got three different organizational roles that look at technology in different ways to make sure that the technology is being used in the best possible way for that organization. Really, it's complicated. So, And also, I just got to put a footnote in here. I loved it when Tim said a culture of experimentation. I got to use that somewhere. I thought that was a great term. What stuck out to you, Mr. Wall? Well, hopefully nothing nefarious with that use of the quote there, Ethan. Um, I don't think I have anything earth shattering, but I, I put myself in the CIO's shoes for a moment and thought that it must be pretty tough to be told by a group of business individuals that aren't very technically savvy to say, hey, you're going to use the cloud, lift and shift, move everything to the cloud thing, cloud, cloud, cloud. And that's got to be a tough spot when you're the CIO to negotiate, plan, you know, potentially build a strategy around sort of a nonsensical push into a tech world, uh, especially if there was no valid reason to do so in the first place. So I just kind of put myself in a CIO's shoes and thought, wow, that must really suck for him or her as well. Tim, what keeps today's CIO up at night? I mean, what are the things that you worry about, you're fearful about? Is it money? Is it balancing spending across infrastructure, et cetera? Is it dealing with things like disaster recovery? What, what are the big pressures a CIO feels? Hmm. I would suspect if you asked 100 CIOs that question, you would get 100 different tiered answers. For me, it came down to the value that we provide to the organization, to the broader company and our customers, was number one. Number two was 
understanding where my staff was and being able to support them in whatever they needed so they could be successful. And sometimes, and it takes a very mature position to say this, but in some cases, what that might mean is you have a staff member that is ready for their next challenge, and yet there's nothing within your organization for them. And so it may mean that you're helping them find a job outside of your organization so they can be successful and grow and flourish. In some ways, no different than if you have kids, right? At some point, they have to leave the nest and and fly on their own. And you want them to be successful and armed with everything that that you can impart in them. So I'd say that those are those are my two big things: are understanding the value and making sure that we're continually providing value. It's a continuous process, by the way. It's not a it's not an endpoint. It's a continual journey and and process of improvement. But then the second piece is making sure that my organization is healthy and that we have a good set of team members that understand where we're going and they're on board, but they're also getting what they need. It can't be a one-way conversation. It needs to be reciprocal because if it isn't, then you've got an unhealthy situation and that creates a whole cataclysmic situation that, that comes of it. Did you suffer with a lot of the tension that can sometimes happen between uh, technology folks and the business folks? Because you mentioned earlier that a CIO's role is partly to do that translation between the business side of things and the technology side of things and vice versa. So was that a big struggle that might have kept you up at night from time to time? Um, yes and no. I mean, one of the things that, that I always thought about is, and and I don't think this is common thinking, unfortunately, but... If you think about it, as a CIO, my staff interacts with folks outside of IT more than I do. So if you do the math, for example, for just a minute, and let's say I'm just for conversation's sake, let's say we're only working 40 hours a week. We all know we don't do that, but um, yeah, let's say I'm we are. I'm chuckling in my head here, but yeah, let's just, let's just <laughs> assume it's 40. For conversation's sake, right? Pretend you're on vacation, basically. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but if you start adding up, and even if you have a smaller team of folks, to get to 40 hours, and that's assuming that I spend all 40 hours interacting with people outside of the IT organization. So let's say I only have a team of 10 people. They only have to interact individually four hours a week in order to eclipse the amount of time that I spend, right? Four times 10 gets you to 40. Yep. So and that's over the course of a week. So only four hours, one team member, four hours over the course of a week. So you start to extrapolate this into teams of 50, teams of 100, teams of 500, teams of 1,000. You start to realize that the IT organization is, as an organization interacts with folks outside of IT more than you do as the CIO. And so where that becomes really important is they become both an advocate, but if you don't do a good job of communicating the vision and how we're going to be able to get there and the values of the organization, then that could create confusion. And some would say in the extreme, create a liability. I do think there's an opportunity to take your team members and expose them to areas of the organization that they wouldn't otherwise get access to. And I can tell you, in talking to network engineers, talking to storage admins, server admins, data center managers, they don't get the access to many of these business folks. And so unfortunately, they're not able to build relationships and understand how these other people think or or what their company does and what they do, how it ties to what their company does. Yeah, I, I know. I, I always had to filter through my manager that often had that relationship. And so I would do my best to communicate up to them so that they could carry the message forward to you know, the, the sea level of the business as the case was. And, and you're right. I didn't have access to those folks. They were always way too busy. Yeah. I worked for a guy once and he had a, um, he had a really important, he had a lot of pearls of wisdom, which is actually one of the reasons why I went to work for the company. And one of the things he used to say is my job is to deliver an organization. And if you think about that for a minute, you start to realize that you're really focused on the dynamics of the organization more so than one technology widget over another. At the end of the day, I mean, let's face it, whether it's blue, green, yellow, red, or some other color, it doesn't matter. What you do with it 
and the organization is what ultimately makes or breaks the use of technology. All right. So on that train of thought, I'm going to I'm going to hijack a few of your cars and hook it up to this uh, this question caboose. I think there's also some hostility that has to be addressed. You know, like you talk about when the communication isn't there, then you're either missing the message or potentially harming the message because you are just trying to fill in the gaps. But there's also that kind of perception of the leadership being the CIO or the CTO, but in this case, the CIO is trying to take away kind of everything I know as a tech pro, you know, remove the data center, put everything in the cloud, replace, potentially outsource. Is that a priority? Are CIOs just, all right, I want to trim headcount. That's my number one priority. I want to get rid of all these, you know, operational expenses. They're just numbers. Because, and, I, and I bring that up because number two on your list was my people. Are they growing? Are they successful? And I'm, I've got a little bit of a disconnect because I don't think I've been in a lot of organizations that had that value that you're talking about. Whereas a lot of people that I talk to that are tech pros are, man, the company is really forcing me to adapt quickly. And, and I certainly support that kind of effort. But it, it feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect, a little bit of a hostility between the top and, and sort of the, the engineers in the bottom. Yeah, there is. You know, there are a couple of components there. Let me, so let me try and kind of unpack it a bit. Yeah, it was, you know, it was again, a heavily packed train. It's, a, it's, got, <laughs> it's an express train. <laughs> you know, these are these are tough issues. None of these issues that we've talked about are easy issues to address. You don't just listen. You don't just listen to one podcast and go, "Okay, I've got all the answers. I'm good to go." Right? You need to listen to a series of different perspectives, and you need to put them together and figure out how can I start to leverage some of these tools and some of these bits that make sense for me. I mean. I don't expect that that the folks listening to this podcast are going to take everything I say and swallow it whole. You know, they're going to take some of it and they're going to go, yeah, okay, whatever. And some of it they're going to go, okay, I get that. That could be interesting. The question is, what pieces can you leverage in your particular situation? You know, I'd go back to my blog for a minute. One of the things that I wrote a while back was this concept of the three-legged race, right? It's just like we do at a picnic, right? Two people... Each of us have a, a leg in a burlap sack and we try and race down the field. Well, what happens if one of those legs falls behind or gets ahead or two of them get ahead? You fall down. Well, that three-legged race, those three legs are represented by the CIO, the IT organization, and the rest of the company, the rest of the business. And so you have to start to evolve folks outside of IT, and I think the CIO's role is to do some of this, is to show that IT provides value beyond just being an order taker. But if you can't do the basics well, if you can't keep the phones up, if you can't keep the network solid, if you can't provide services in a timely fashion, guess what? They're not going to come to you and say, okay, we want you to do something more interesting, something more valuable to us, because the response is going to be, you can't even do the basics. So why do you, why should I believe that you can do something more higher level? I will also say in regards to job loss, I know a very few CIOs that have gone through reorganizations and transformation efforts where they have explicitly wanted to reduce headcount. So I know that's a perception. I know there's a perception that as we start to bring automation in, we start to bring in things like AI, we start to outsource our data center that were not needed. Actually, that's not really the case. And I'll give you some specific examples. Even if you want to take a data center and move it out, that's generally a multi-year journey for a lot of large enterprises just to move the data center. And you still have your own equipment. It just might be in a different city. And of course, now we all know you can run a lights out data center. And if you aren't doing that today, well then, okay, Maybe you should be out of a job because there are ways to do that today and there are ways to do it in a meaningful way. So I think you're probably selling yourself short-sighted if you think that by leveraging things like cloud that you're going to be out of a job. You know, most of the CIOs that I work with, the vast majority of them, they're looking for ways to redeploy that headcount, redeploy those people and help those people grow into other more interesting and more valuable roles rather than saying, okay, Chris, we're done with you. Cool. I just saved 
whatever, 150,000 a year off, off my budget. I got a raise. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And part of the reason why, and here's kind of the, the inside baseball from the CIO's perspective, if I give up that headcount, I'll never get it back. So the last thing I want to do is give it up. I'd rather redeploy it. Tim, let me flip this question on its head. As a, the opposite of trimming headcount, you're trying to keep talent on board. And, and, and as you put it, that's desirable for a CIO anyway. But there seems to be a perception of a tech talent shortage. It's hard to get people with the skills you're looking for. So a couple of questions here. One, is that true? Do you feel that there is a tech talent shortage? And, and if so, in what skills? And then the question becomes, what do you do about it? Do you build the talent in-house? Do you outsource to get that talent? What, what, what's the approach a CIO might take? Yeah, and you have to layer in there, where are you physically? So if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, for example, yeah, it's pretty hard to be a, an older, stodgy enterprise and attract someone when you've got Facebook and Google kind of competing for the same resources. But I thought beanbag chairs and ping pong tables fix that. Everybody is a startup. You know, as long as you have free candy, you know, <laughs> a free meal and some dry cleaning. Oh, wait, dry cleaning is not necessary anymore. Forgive me. Yeah, there is a shortage and there isn't. And I think this is the same thing about the CIO. You know, the CIO's role is is in decline. You know, if you go back a couple of years, there, the analyst firms were saying, oh, the CIO's CIO role is in decline. The CMO is picking it up or it's going to a CDO or CTO. The reality is that the traditional CIO, just like the traditional network admin or traditional server admin or traditional data center manager, those traditional folks are probably in decline. I know it's true for the CIO, and I would say that generally that's probably true for for others. There are a lot of folks that do that. The problem is, and I think this is where the tech shortage piece becomes a little masked, is just like with the CIO where you're trying to find transformational CIOs that are far and few between, the same thing holds true with with roles within the organization. How many developers do you have on staff? Maybe they know one language and maybe they know, you know, lower in the OSI model, but are they really can they really do full stack development, for example? Okay, so would you call that a tech shortage? Because I don't have that person or I can't find that person? Or can I put together some of these other skill sets and be able to to get what I need? Mm. I think it reminds have- me of, uh, I just going to say, it reminds me of 2008 or so when job descriptions would say, I want a VMware certified engineer with 15 yeah. years experience. I'm like, this is, the software's only been around for like five. So yeah. and, that's not and really then, a shortage. You know, it just doesn't exist. Well, and Chris, that's exactly where I was going to go is that I think we do a really, really poor job of recruiting good people. I think we do a poor job of understanding what we need and what we should want in a person And we focus too much, especially as you get further into the IT org, we focus too much on skill sets and hard skills and too much on certifications. And while those things are important and good, the real differentiator comes with the personality of the individual. How well are they going to fit in? How well are they going to be able to think out of the box and think on their own and say, you know what, I'm a network admin, but I'm seeing this other problem over here. And if we fix this server problem over here, and let me talk to my server compadres and I can help them and they're going to be able to help me as a consequence of this and we can come up with a better solution. I mean, that's when things really start to hum. The problem is when you start creating these silos and using these traditional approaches for recruiting, all bets are off. I mean, you're going to get what you what you ask for. So I think we have to rethink how we look at people. And I want to underscore that word, people, because everybody is different, right? Ethan's different than Chris is different than Tim. And even if we had the same hard skills, what's to differentiate us? It's who we are. And how well does that meld into what I'm already working with? So I think part of this is that, yes, there is a, there is a shortage, but there isn't. I think the bigger problem is just finding the right resources. I think it'll all equate out if we find the right resources and go about it the right way. You know what struck me as interesting was the priorities that Tim put forward. 
Uh, number one, am I valuable to the org? And that's for me in the tech world, that's imposter syndrome. You know, do I actually know what I know? You know? Am I providing value to other people within my team and the greater team? And then number two, you know, are my people successful in growing? Are you fostering an environment where people's personal and professional career can grow? Kind of, I just had a wow moment. You know, that's great. I, I wish I had worked for more people that felt that same way. Uh, so I would assume that if you're in a position where you feel that these are two top priorities for the people that you work for, then you're probably in a pretty good org. What about you, Ethan? Well, kind of related to that, more climbing inside the CIO's head, seeing things in there I didn't expect to find. Uh, a quote from Tim, if you give up a headcount, you'll never get it back. And I, I'd never considered that perspective before, that anyone in the executive suite might be thinking that way. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't lose your job, right? But it likely means that if you're a competent employee, someone in the C-suite is fighting for you, and it's probably the CIO. That was that was a kind of a perspective changer for me. Okay, I feel better educated as to what a CIO does and his or her priorities. Now, I'm sure there's a percentage of folks out there who are like, well, that sounds pretty cool or groovy, or I really don't like my CIO. I want to be that person. You know, like I want that role. So let's talk about crossing over from you know, our nerd knob twisting tech pro brethren uh, to becoming a suit wearing C-level boss holding briefcases just filled with cold, hard cash. The kind of snarky question is, do you have to sell your soul? Is that a requirement or just optional? But more more generally, is that possible? Obviously, a little earlier you said it sounded like perhaps you could kind of grow up from being within the IT org to the kind of legacy version of the CIO. I'm not so sure about the new transformative one. So I guess pick that apart if you can, Tim. Yeah, the transformational CIO, typically, at least the ones that exist today in the real world, not the conceptual world, they've had some level of experience and exposure to different lines of business outside of IT. So they've either run a group or been involved in a product group or engineering group or some part of the organization outside of IT. So they're able to bring that to the table or they've been exposed to customers. If you look at how people advance within the IT organization, and I think this is a great example of please, whatever you do, do not do what I did. I probably took yeah, well, I probably took the hardest route, which is I actually started my career back in the nineteen eighties. You can edit that part out. But I started my career in such a way that I was actually designing networks. And so, yes, I was a network guy um, working with vampire taps and ThickNet and this newfangled thing called ArcNet. And then we had this new thing that was replacing some of our token ring networks called Thin Ethernet. God bless you, sir. (laughs) This is still working with coax. 50-ohm Terminator, baby. That's right. Oh, that's right. I forgot to put the darn Terminator on. Uh, Hold on. Let me rent Let me rent a room for you too real quick. I'll get it for you. No, no, please continue. It's great. I love it. But, you know, for me, I started on the infrastructure side of it and then eventually picked up applications and eventually took on the CIO role. And that's incredibly rare to see. And I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. And I definitely wouldn't follow that model. A better model would be start to understand how your company makes money and how it spends money. And this is a question I often ask CIOs. How do you make money and how do you spend money? And if you're Gap, and I happen to know the the CIO of Gap really well, both the current CIO and the former CIO, and they're nothing like this, but it would be the equivalent of the Gap CIO telling me, oh, well, we make pants and shirts and our customers come into stores and buy them. Or they might go onto the web and and buy them. Okay, so great. So you have a common knowledge as any investor or consumer of the gap would have. That doesn't tell me anything. What I'm interested in is knowing how well do you understand how the company designs products, how it interacts with contract manufacturing, how that gets into the supply chain distribution, what's the difference between in-store distribution versus online distribution, how are those P&L models managed, how do you start to cross over between them, and also what are the different ways that customers engage and purchase products. Meaning, if a customer wants to change the design of something, let's say that there's a fatal flaw and that needs to get into design so that feedback makes it to design, 
what is the total round trip time to get it from design all the way back into the consumer's hands? Now, a transformational CIO will know that off the top of their head. The traditional CIO won't have a clue. Interesting. It's definitely a much more, it's like both in-depth and broad, right? Because you're, you're working across a number of verticals or, or silos that we typically call them. That's and there's right. a certain depth there, which typically you have to choose one. So I find that an interesting answer and, and certainly daunting at the same time. Well, but, but think of it this way. The CIO, and, and I wrote a little bit more in depth about this so you can go read later, but the CIO today, the transformational CIO, needs to think like the CEO of the company, not the CEO of IT. So we're crystal clear. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the CIO needs to act and think like the CEO. And what I mean by that is if you think about the CEO's role for a minute, they're thinking about finance, they're thinking about customers, they're thinking about shareholders and different stakeholders, they're thinking about product development and design, you know, if we're talking about Gap and whatnot. They're thinking about how all of those pieces work together harmoniously. That's exactly what the CIO of today and moving forward needs to do. They need to think about it in that same way and then say, you know what? We can bring technology to bear to be able to solve these problems, enhance these processes, speed up these engagements, and reduce these costs. You remind me of my boss's boss's boss at a job that I had, and this guy knew all of those things. When we had an outage on the infrastructure, uh, whatever it was, he understood the systems that were impacted, what processes were running on them, and therefore what customers were impacted and what that did to revenue. He knew all of that stuff off the top of his head because he got to the position he was in coming up through the ranks. He was there earlier in the business, and as the business was built, he was a key part of that process all along the way, which made him in his role absolutely invaluable to understanding what was going on at any given time. Yep. And then yet you take, um, so I, I won't name companies, but a particular client of mine that most people would probably recognize on this podcast, they had a situation where they were looking to move a data center. And the problem was they had core applications they were working with. Those core applications eventually tied to specific circuits coming into the facility coming into the data center, but they actually didn't know which circuits tied to which applications. Now that's a very simple example, but then when you get into trying to move that application to cloud, how do you know which circuits need to move or need to get virtualized? And what if those circuits aren't circuits that you specifically, you the company manage? So understanding how all these pieces tie together is incredibly important. And it's incredibly complicated. And that's why the transformational CIO is a totally different beast than just someone that knows how to navigate through technology. Okay, Tim. So so if I'm that nerd, as we started out this, uh, this section discussing, I'm the nerd that I think I want to be that CIO someday. What sort of skills should I focus on? Should I go back to college and get some more education in some specific discipline or, or go to work for some specific industry that might help me there? Can you give me some advice? You know, the single, single biggest piece of advice I could give is make sure that you are thinking about who your mentors are. If you don't have mentors, seek them out. But make sure that you're choosing your mentors wisely and you understand why they are your mentors. So if you're looking to gain better insights or experience from business functions you might want to think about mentors that are much more business-centric and less tech-centric. You can always go back to school. There's a reason why I have an undergrad in computer information systems and I have an MBA in international business. It's not by mistake. Uh, okay, so uh, MBA is, is a valid track to pursue if you're interested in CIO then? It can be. Not all MBAs, or I'm sorry, not all CIOs. In fact, probably few CIOs actually have MBAs. But it's one of many paths you could take. It's going to be harder, though, if you are someone in technology that you might have your undergraduate degree, and in some cases you might not. I mean, that's a six-year haul minimum, right, to get your undergrad degree and then get your graduate degree. And if you're doing that part-time, it could take even longer. So it's a pretty significant commitment to do it. I think the better way to 
go about it is not bad, but rather, I'm not saying that that isn't a good way, but it's a hard way to go. I think a better way is leverage mentors, but then also spend time building relationships within your own company, within the company that you're currently employed by, or if you're a consultant, that's okay too. But start to seek out people that are outside of IT or inside of IT, but that understand the nature of your business and spend time getting to know what the company does. How does it make money? How does it spend money? How do customers interact with the company? You know, if I look at the three things that most boards and executive teams are concerned with, it comes back to creating a deeper relationship with customers, one. Number two is building revenue streams. That could be new markets. It could be growing existing markets. And three is reducing the expense footprint. And so if you think about those three things, there's a fourth one, which is making sure that your stakeholders are well cared for, which could be mean your shareholders. If you think about those pieces and how do you learn more about those pieces, it could be as simple as starting out and saying, okay, do you know how to read a balance sheet, an income statement, and a cash flow statement? Do you understand how to read those? And listen to the financial calls that your company has every quarter and annually if you're a publicly traded company. If you start to immerse yourself into those realms, you'll start to just organically pick up some insights, but it's a great way to get started. And then that will in turn cause you to start asking questions that people will start to take notice at and go, okay, this person isn't just a network admin. This person actually understands how this ties to this, to this, to this in our business. A lot of this context, Tim, has been within the organization and growing into such a role by making the appropriate relationships, et cetera. If there's a CIO, you know, a company is seeking for a CIO outside of their organization, when would it make sense to apply for such a position? Most CIO roles today happen quietly. It's not on Monster or Indeed? I can't just no. you know, search hashtag CIO and get a job. No. No. No, and the ones that show up on LinkedIn or um, Indeed or or one of the other online uh, sites, those are the ones you either need to kind of have a skeptical eye to or they're just doing it because they have a corporate policy that they have to publicly post it, even if they have a retained search going. Yeah. Um, Most of the retained search firms that are seeking CIOs today They have a pretty well-developed, each of them have a unique, well-developed process in which they're looking at the personality, they're looking at the person, they're looking at some of the skill sets too, but they're looking at a cultural fit, they're looking at what that person brings to the table. I would say that you have to get really good at being the CIO's lieutenant before you should consider taking on the CIO role, because the last thing you want to do is step into that senior-most IT role and fail. Now, failure can be a good thing because we learn from failure. We don't learn from our successes. We learn from failure. But it's an it's a pretty expensive place to be learning from failure. That's a, that's a lot of people that are affected. I mean, it is. I guess if you if you take a storage array down, that, that affects people in a different way at a very widespread, you know, kind of uh, uh, impact. It does. You know, if you're if you're at the helm of the ship and you hit the iceberg, that that's also has a lot of impact as well. Well, the other thing is, if you think about it, again, you know, think about it from the hiring manager's perspective, whether that's the CFO or the CEO. If the CEO has a choice between a known quantity that has been a CIO with maybe one of their competitors versus someone that is untested in the CIO role, and maybe they think differently and maybe they're an up-and-coming star, they're probably going to lean toward the known quantity, But if you have a relationship with the CFO or CEO, or you know someone amongst the executive team within that organization, or within your company, let's say you've been the lieutenant of the CIO or part of the office of the CIO, and that CIO is looking to move on, maybe to a different company, larger role, different opportunity, or retiring, you then are in a prime position because you understand the nature of your company, you understand the players, you understand the business, you understand all of the different dimensions that really play a significant role. And so that's where folks often get their first opportunity as a CIO is either one of two ways. 
it either is because you've been the lieutenant of the CIO and the CIO's moved on and then you're the successor. And that's by design, by the way. That's that doesn't happen through happenstance. Or you join a small organization, maybe a startup, that they're looking for their first CIO and they only have a couple of people in IT. And you have to kind of say, okay, I'm ready for that. You know, I'm going to take on a small team, prove yourself, prove your worth. And then if that company doesn't end up growing or going anywhere, at least you have the title under your belt, you have some experience under your belt, and you can take on the next opportunity. But those are the two common paths to step into the CIO role for the first time. Well, there you have it, everybody. The very imperative and step-by-step instructions to selling your soul, becoming a CIO, and, and ruling with your iron fist. Uh, Tim, I want to thank you very much for joining this show and imparting so much wisdom to the audience so we can bust some silos between executive leadership and the technical pros out there. People want to engage with you on social media, blog, that kind of jazz. Where can they find you at? Yeah, thanks, Chris and Ethan. appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Um, you can catch me, read my blog, avoa.com. I go into many of these concepts in more depth. You can also catch me on Twitter at T Crawford. But the one thing I, I would impart is what you've learned over the last decade or two decades or however long you've been in technology may not serve you moving forward. So don't necessarily hold on to it too tightly. Well, like vampire taps and coax <laughs> Like right. best practices is cool. an example. Yeah, I just, I just uh, got a little sick in the mouth. Okay, well, that's it for today's edition of the Data Knots podcast. If you're a social creature, you can follow at Chris Wall, that's me on Twitter, or my blog, wallnetwork.com. And my delightful friend, Ethan, is at EC Banks on Twitter, and he blogs at packetpushers.net. For more of our Data Knots shows about infrastructure engineering, nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packetpushers.net. You're going to find us talking about containers and certifications, PowerShell, full-stack engineering, the CIO role. There's so much more there. Take a look. Until then, may your server lights blink, your storage spindle spin, and your cables be cleanly managed. Mm-hmm.